This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that, like Chelsea, is hewn out of granite. Uh, yet another test and yet another pass with distinction, but yesterday saw a very different test as Chelsea faced a typically obdurate Tony Poulis side, determined to frustrate, kick, waste time and defend with their lives. Fair enough. It's up to Chelsea to break them down, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, And break them down, Chelsea did, after some tinkering by Conte. But where would we have been without the will to win of Diego Costa, who made sure we took the spoils with an absolutely storming goal, and the Blues go marching on. Now, I am Stamford Chidge, and the name of tonight's show is Police on My Back. Uh, so, you know, I don't have anybody with me to kind of give me the warmth and love that I need for such an incredibly clever title to this show. But in the absence of that, I've actually probably got, uh, uh, we are, by, by the way, there's only three of us tonight. But even so, I would say that there's more intellect and brains on this show than we've probably ever had, ever. Okay. Uh, so without further ado, I will introduce uh, Mr. Seb O'Mahony. Hi, Chase. Good evening, everyone. It's lovely to have you back with us, Seb. Uh, it's been way, way, way too long, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's been about 18 months, but in those 18 really? months, yeah, I think just because of everything, work and other things and new career change, it's been busy, busy, but no, it's been, it's been good to be back and um, hopefully it'll be a great show tonight. Excellent stuff. Well, it's lovely to have you back, mate, and it was also really nice to see you very briefly at the stall on Saturday. Now, uh, this th- th- my next guest, I-, I am so delighted to have this man on the show that it's almost worth not just doing a drum roll, but a trumpet fanfare. Uh, now, this is a chap who a lot of people know on Twitter, and for very good reason. He- he's-, he's a superb uh, writer in the Chelsea kind of writing community. He knows more about tactics than I've ever wanted to know, but don't hold that against him. But for me, the best thing about this man is that uh, for many, many, many years now, he has sat 
I think something like four, five seats down the row from me. So, you know, he's probably, out of all the people that I know that go to Chelsea, the closest who sits to me of all the people I know. And I love him for that. And he is, he is Joe Tweeds. Evening, Chid. Evening, everyone. Um, I'm not entirely sure how to uh, how to follow up that introduction. So, uh, yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. And uh, looking forward to the, the show and obviously my, my debut cap. It's Sit lovely down, to have uh, you on. on. The fancast, yeah. Yeah, it really is great to have you on. And as I said, it's really nice because, as I said, uh, you know, uh, you you have for, for years been the close, you know, of all the people I know at Chelsea, you've been the one that sits closest to me. And I, and uh, it's great. It's great to have you just along the row from me. And occasionally, of course, I stand behind you with Darren Mantle. Yeah, I think we, we've probably had more halftime talks at Chelsea and I think probably anyone that I've ever been to football with. So, uh, yeah, it's nice to finally bring that 15 minutes of absolute glory onto the uh, the fan cast tonight. So here's the thing. Either, either you know, I'm the brains behind your writing or you're the brains behind my fan cast. I'm not quite sure which. I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> no, I think it's probably best not to. I think we'll sh- we shall move on. Boys, it's great to have you on the show. And just so, you know, everybody else, um, you know, because I know I have a reputation and they think that I might have killed all the other people off. Uh, much as I would like to, uh, I haven't. Jonathan uh, is, is carol singing tonight and I gave him the night off. Clayton swears blind that I, f- I did not tell him he was on the show tonight. So therefore, it's all my fault. He's probably right. And as you probably know, I still haven't done the schedule yet, but I will find some people to be on the show next week. But uh, as for tonight, uh, we will be talking. You will be amazed to learn. We will be talking about Diego Costa and just how immense he is for Chelsea and what the hell do we do if he gets suspended or injured. Uh, In part two, uh, we'll break down why it was so hard to break down West Brom. Uh, We'll ask, uh, was Conte showing tactical flexibility or has the 3-4-3 been found out? That's easy for me to say. And can the winning run continue, and is it too early to talk about winning the title? In part three, uh, we'll look ahead to this Wednesday's match against Sunderland. Who knew we had a match on Wednesday? I almost forgot. And uh, even further ahead, as I've got two very intelligent people with me who are interested in these things, I thought it might be nice to have a kind of look ahead to what might happen in the January transfer window. Uh, And in part four, as always, uh, we have three uh, three emails to test the brain's trust of the Chelsea fancast. And I'm doing overtime because I'll be reading them out in the absence of Jonathan. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday, apart from when we're not doing it or not on Monday. But uh, when we're doing it on Monday, it is live at seven o'clock. And all you have to do is go to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where you can, of course, join in the chat room, as these boys have been known to do, haven't you? Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, you can also tweet us at Chelsea Fancast, but the reality is that I never look at it during the show because I'm just useless. Um, but don't let that stop you. I always check them out uh, you know, after the show and sometimes during it. Uh, and finally, I'd just like to say, um, and this is very important really, uh, rest in peace to former Chelsea player Peter Braybrook, uh, who, of course, was one of our 1955 title-winning team and by all accounts, an absolutely lovely chap. But uh, news was released today that he's passed away, which is very sad. Um, obviously, I'm a bit too young to have seen him play, but uh, I know many people who have, and they all speak very kindly and fondly of him. Anyway, after a very short little break, uh, we'll be talking about the West Brom game.
Okay. Uh, well, I really want to start proceedings off tonight, gentlemen, uh, by by talking about uh, about uh, about um, what's his name? Bloody Costa, isn't it? Diego Costa. The reason I'm getting confused, of course, is I've written purposefully in my script Didier Costa because <laughs> uh, you know, apart from apart from the absolutely superb goal, I mean, I think we should talk about that. But I mean, later on, I, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how good he is and is he the best in the world and. One of the things that occurred to me during the game was that, you know, that was a real bastard of a game and, and it needed, um, you know, somebody to break it down and win it. And that's what Costa did. And I was reminded of the fact that that was something that Drogba used to do for us a lot. But let's talk about the actual execution of that goal first. I mean, it was superb, wasn't it, Seb? Yeah, I mean, I was sitting in the Matthew Harding lower, so it wasn't especially the best view. But actually, my other half was in my seat in the West Lower so she was right behind it. So she got the best angle, and she said it was it was a great goal. Obviously, it was I saw it as well. But yeah, it was it was just seemed like one of those games where it just hinge on one chance, and in the, you just need someone who's going to put the ball in the back of the net. And obviously, we've got what I think is the best striker at the moment. Maybe not just the Premier League, but probably in Europe. I think. Mm, I thought we should, we should go. I should we should delve into that in a minute. I think so. But mm. I think that's a good point, Joe. I mean. You know, talk us through that goal. Why was that such a great goal? I think probably what's setting Costa apart from a lot of players this season, he's just become such a decisive figure. You think back to the Spurs game, you know, he sets up Moses for the win. He sort of kickstarts the whole Man City thing and and then sort of rescues a game, which looked like it was kind of heading towards a draw. But, you know, chasing what was, uh, you know, a hopeful ball into the corner, the sort of strength to kind of get past it. I think McCauley, who, you know, who's pretty sort of robust centre-half. But then from, you know, from that point onwards, he had so much to do sort of coming up to Ben Foster. I think, you know, he had a pretty good angle on him, but the finish, I mean, side foot, and it was like an absolute arrow into the top corner. Um, I think probably just sums up both the confidence he's playing with and just really sort of, you know, how he's been this season. He's been absolutely superb. And, and you know, I think the key word that I would use to describe at the moment is just that he's so, so decisive. Mm, I mean, I, I, I loved it. I mean, for me, that was... That had everything, you know. I mean, you know, a hopeful ball uh, down the right flank. You know, there's no chance he's going to score from there. But he wanted it so much more than McCauley and he outmuscled him, which kind of, you know, you expect Costa to outmuscle people. But he's just... but And, and then that sublime skill. I mean, he, he buried that. He put that away so well. I mean, so it was, it was everything that you want in a striker. Determination, strength and finesse. And, oh, God. I mean, me and Darren who, as you know, were sitting in your seats, nearly fell about four rows down, actually, at that point. Because I really, at that stage, I, I, and this is, this is the other thing, at that point, I was like getting quite resigned to the fact that either it was going to be a nil-nil or those buggers were going to nick it. Because, you know, I'd been, I'd, I said on the, the, the show I do with Kerry uh, to preview the game that, um, you know, West Brom have scored something, I think they've scored more goals than anybody else from set pieces. And it was obvious that that's what their game plan was, but we'll talk more about that later. Um, but I mean, you know, just to kind of underline this, chaps, I mean, he, he's becoming really, really immense for Chelsea, isn't he, Seb? He's kind of the leader we need him to be. Yeah, he, he's showing all the attributes that maybe he didn't show last season for whatever reason. I know he wasn't the only one, but um, he's sort of, it's a bit like Luis. They're both showing um, the ability to be, have leadership capabilities and that's that's what you need. That's what, Every player needs to be like that and it starts from the front, really. Um, hassling every centre back for every lost ball, whatever it is. Like 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 yesterday, it was it was perfect. And hopefully, 
these next couple of games, it, it, we can maintain that level. But who knows? But um, it, it's great to watch at the moment. It's 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 such a far cry from last this time last year, where well, the um, the Marino was had been relieved of his duties. But yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a great season so far. Mm. Well, I mean, you know what. <sighs> How how important, Joe? I mean, you know, I think we, we we've talked about it when we've been talking at the matches and things. But you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a great kind of believer that that you know you need a lot of leaders, and of course, this is what made Mourinho's first incarnation so great that we had you know so many leaders on the pitch. But I, I think there is a um, you know I said it last year that there was a distinct lack of leadership last year. But so how 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 important is is Costa's leadership to the side? Do you think? I think it's huge, and I think also his his lack of English. It's almost like he he has to try sort of two three times as hard just to kind of sort of make the point on the pitch. But you know, unlike maybe seasons gone by where he's probably crossed the line multiple times during the game, he's he's playing sort of at ninety nine point nine percent on the edge that you want him to. And I think he's just dragging everyone forward with him. You mm. can see, you know, he's scoring important goals, he's getting important assists, but his work rate. You know, I think I don't know if yeah. it was the it might have been the Everton game where. You know, where, you know, however many goals up we were at the end and sort of 88th, 90th minute or whenever he was sort of still on the pitch, chasing down a ball that's pumped into the corner. And you're thinking, like, you know, the game's won, but maybe it's a mentality thing. I think Conte is, has really unlocked, you know, maybe another one or two levels in him. But this season, we were really probably seeing, you know, one of the most complete centre forwards in Europe playing, at, you know, near his best. You know, I think he said after the game, he's, he's still, got, you know, got a little bit more to give. So, you know, I think we, we really need to start thinking or putting him into that class of, of sort of maybe the top three or four strikers in Europe. Hmm. Well, I mean, what what do you think's changed for him this season? Because I mean, I mean, obviously he's back to his best, but I think actually even better than he was before, arguably. But of course, he's you know he's now gone ten games without getting that fifth yellow card, and in fact, you know, you know if he gets through the next four games, then or is it three games? Then they're wiped off, aren't they? But I mean, what what fundamentally has changed with Costa this season? Do you think, Joe? Um, I think fundamentally he's much fitter. I think he come into the season, you can sort of see over the summer, he was much leaner. Um, you know, I think really for him to be at his best, I think last season he was carrying far too much sort of, mm. sort of bulk to be be sort of that kind of rambunctious centre forward. But I also think as well, the fact that we're now kind of switched to this sort of 3-4-3, three, three, you've got Hazard and Pedro or William playing the sort of more inside forwards rather than traditional wingers. They're a lot closer to him and you can kind of see maybe in seasons gone by, the link-up between him and Hazard has been OK, but it's not really been a feature of our play. Whereas this season, I think he's benefiting so much from having Hazard in and around him and, and also Pedro, who's obviously making those runs in behind. So I think, you know, the, the change of shape really, really is helping him. But I, I think he's just developed as well as a player. I mean, you look at his hold-up play, his his ability to, to sort of link play as well. The goal, I think it was Williams against City, sort of a perfect through ball, which you probably wouldn't have associated with him even at sort of, you know, at uh, Atletico Madrid. So... You know, fitness, I think the the, the shape and, and also um, I just think Conte is, is a really fantastic coach and is, is definitely getting a lot more out of him than even I, who's a you know, huge, huge fan of his, uh, thought, thought was there. Mm. I mean, I agree with all of that. I think, I think we, again, you know, I remember on the show last year, we were very frustrated about how isolated he would get up front. And I think he also got frustrated, which is when he started like, you know, going out wide to look for the ball, which is always a a bad sign in the striker but one of the things I've really loved most about him this season that you know which I think makes him the complete uh, modern day forward is that you know he's now more prepared to link play and bring other people in and you know whilst you want your strikers to be absolutely selfish and want to score every goal 
The fact is that we've got a lot of other creative players who are capable of scoring, and he's and he, you know, he's 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 playing. I think a lot more with his back to goal and bringing other people in. And you know, personally, I like that. Although when I talked to Kerry about it a few weeks ago, he was very you know dismissive of that. But then you know, Kerry was very greedy and. He liked to stay in the penalty area and score, but that's fair enough. Different strikers. Um, there's actually a very good uh, post from uh, some, some random bloke that I have no idea who he is called We Are The Shed in Mixler. Hello, Richard. How are you? Um, and he's made a very good point here, Seb, that uh, Costa basically is buying into Conte's philosophy and mentality. I mean, do you think there's a bit of truth in that? Yeah, I mean, like, like my previous point again, this time last year, you could, obviously there was a lot of palpable discord wasn't there so mm. i think yeah i think obviously from the from the from the start conte's he's bought into conte's philosophy um like he said he's not gone he's not got yellow card in 10 games which is his longest stretch since 2010 and 11 i read the other day so obviously there's he's obviously working um i mean he had a great start to the season i mean obviously the winner against west ham but i think again it was everything kind of turns on the Arsenal game for um, both for him and obviously uh, formation. It's, 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 they make, by, by losing so badly against Arsenal, it's just changed our whole season because if we'd, if we'd stayed in that formation, it, I, I was sort of, sort of dreading the worst already with mm. not only this season, but with the, the management already. Um, but they've turned, I have to give them great praise uh, they've turned it around, and Costa's been the forefront of that. Really, mm. um, he's and he, and he's still got that that bite to his his game. It's still he's still there. He can get angry, but it's controlled anger now rather than pure manic violent, violent anger, which we've been seeing for the last what eighteen months or so. Mm. Oh, I agree with all of that. Um, talking of Mixler, actually, we've got a few good posts here. We've got one uh, from Rebecca Sitter. Uh, who says, first time live listener from Chicago. Hello all, well, really nice to have you in here, Rebecca. Uh, thank you for joining us. This is a cracking one uh, from, uh, I, I love this guy's name, as I say every week. I saw Alan May's score. Uh, that puts us in a, in a quite a small group of people, I think. Um, but he says, well said, Chidge, about Peter Braybrook. He said, my dad played against Peter Braybrook. Um, I would love you to, to post on here and, and tell me more about that, because that sounds quite unbelievable and fascinating so there we go now uh joe the blue uh makes a point here which will link quite nicely into what i want to talk about next um and he says it might be a stretch to say the best in europe uh, and he quotes Lewandowski and obermayang uh who both have impressive goal records this year but costa is certainly head and shoulders above uh anybody in the premier league now it's always very contentious, isn't it? Because you're never really comparing light with light. I, I have to th- say, I, I think that Costa is, you know, becoming uh, the most complete striker in Europe, if not the world, because I don't think mm. there are many strikers myself who have it all, as in, you know, they're big, strong, physical players, but they've also got skill and they can, you know, they've got finesse and they can they can score a goal like he did the other day. They can get a tap in. Um, he, you know, he, he's he's quite big and strong in the air as well, but he, you know, he'll he'll play he'll play other people in. He'll bring people in like we were talking about, and and I think that 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 gives him a completeness that, you know, say a Suarez doesn't have. I mean, I think Suarez is an unbelievable striker and Aguero, but they're very different. But you know, I, I'm going to stop waffling and pass this on to Joe. I mean, you know, how good is he? You know, where does he rank in the world? Do you think, Joe? 
I think this season is quite interesting. So one of my favourite stats is is something called scoring contribution, which basically looks at um, goals and assists that, that forwards get in a game. And you kind of obviously the more they get, the better they are. And in terms of looking at that as a pure number, I think only the guy you mentioned earlier, Albama Yang at Borussia Dortmund, is actually better than Costa this season. Costa's got a better ratio than Suarez, Lewandowski, Benzema, Aguero. You know the list goes on. You know Higuain. He's, he's better than pretty much everyone by Aubameyang. So I think in terms of just looking at his pure attacking output, you know, he's 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 one of the best in Europe already. But in terms of an all-round skill set, all-round game, you know, first of all, he doesn't play for Barcelona, so he's not going to get a billion chances a game. You know, and, and Dortmund, again, are another team who who score um, plenty of goals a game. So I think realistically, you know, Premier League, to, to actually do what he's doing at the moment, I think he's got 12 goals, five assists in 15 games. You know, he's worth, he's worth a goal a game, which... Yeah. I think realistically, over the course of a season, if he can maintain that, you know, there's that puts him in very rare company in terms of individual seasons of, of players who are just, you know, you might as well just give us a goal before the game starts. He's he's that good at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely up there. Uh, whether he's one of the best in the world, I think it will depend on on what team you're playing. And you know, I don't think Aguero or Suarez would be maybe as effective in this system as Costa is. And Costa probably wouldn't be as effective as as a um, Barcelona or at Dortmund where Aubameyang plays. So. Yeah, I think he's definitely top three. I don't, I don't think at the moment that's really in question at all. That's, good. that's a good point. Seb, what do you, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, Aubameyang is a great player and uh, Lewandowski, but it's unfair to sort of compare them because they're both playing at the highest European level in terms of Champions League at the moment. So they're getting more... Um, uh, bit, they expose more at the moment, so they're they're, they're scoring goals left, right, and centre in the group stages. Whereas Costa's obviously not had the chance this this season. So if we're talking domestically. Um, I, I'd have to say I, I I do watch a lot of German and French football simply because of, it's, it's my job as well. So I, I, I know he's biased as well, but I do think this season uh, Costa is the most all-rounded, mm. most in form number nine whether he's the best that's up to debate but in terms of in form and unplayable you'd have to say it was him I think you make a brilliant point there Seb and one thing that we forgot to mention and actually I think this is where it does bear comparison to to Drogba unplayable I mean you know what what a lot of people used to say about Drogba and I'm, I'm not talking about you know the great unwashed like us I'm talking about you know professional footballers in the Premier League in Europe you know, when asked who is the hardest uh, striker to play against, and a lot of them would say this about Drogba on his day, he was unplayable. If he was in the mood, you weren't going to get the better of him because he was such a physically strong guy and he was so dominating. And he could, again, like like Costa, he could do it all. He could hold the ball up, he could play people in, he could, you know, go past you and whack off a completely unstoppable shot he could head I mean he could do it all and I think that's in a sense what I what I mean by my comparison uh, between Costa and Drogba although I would have to say you know at the moment Costa's got a long way certainly for Chelsea to 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 match you know what what Drogba achieved for this club but uh, I think in terms of players they have that same uh, kind of unplayability about them when when they're really really on form. Anyway, to move this on a bit uh, before we wrap up and go go for a quick break, um, given uh, what Joe was saying about um, quite frankly uh, the only stat that I like Joe apart from uh, dribbles per minute in the pub when I'm involved <laughs> is uh, is ultimately the only the only statistic about a striker that really bears any interest at all is goals how many times they get that ball in the onion bag and 
you know, right now, you know, he's 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 the leading scorer in the league. I think he'll probably go into go on to win the Golden Boot this year. And given that, and given what he did uh, yesterday by effectively winning us a game that we might not have won, um, his importance to us is absolutely immense. Which begs the question: What the hell do we do if he gets suspended? Which, let's face it, he's doing very well at not getting a yellow card. But also if he gets injured, and I mean, let's, you know, he's picked up injuries ever since he's been here, so it is a risk. I mean, Joe, you know, what the hell do we do if this man gets injured? Because it, it, to me, it sounds like we'd be very, very vulnerable. Um, I mean, I think it's probably a point to touch on a bit later, but I think squad depth is, is definitely a concern of mine. Um, though realistically, sort of the form crosses in at the moment. I mean, you, you could say that about a lot of key players. You know, you look at City struggling with Aguero, you could take, you know, Messi out of Barcelona, take Young out of Dortmund. Yeah. They're not the same team. Um, I mean, I'd like to see Batshuayi have a run in, you know, a run in the team. I think he's got a lot of uh, decent attributes. You know, he's very kind of powerful and fast, but maybe his finishing needs to sort of, you know, it, it, he definitely sort of needs to improve in that area. But, you know, I think at, at the moment we're kind of praying that he doesn't, he doesn't fall foul to injury or, or get booked. You know, he's one of these players who, seemingly kind of builds up a, a head of steam and you know the longer he's on this stretch I think the better he's going to play and we don't want him to be injured you know because I think he, you know he might take four or five games to get back up to this sort of level mm-hmm. you don't know what sort of would happen in that period of time so hopefully you know Batshuayi can at least step up and, and provide a focal point but I think we have to be realistic and say you know at the moment you know unless you're going and dropping uh, Luis Suarez or, or someone of that sort of standard into the team then, then we are going to suffer if he's injured. Yeah, that's a good point Seb would you concur? Yeah, just going quickly going back to the point about Costa being top goalscorer, we also have to factor in that he doesn't take penalties. So if you look at yeah. Aguero, he's actually scored out of the eleven goals he scored, I think three or four have been penalties. Harry Kane scored three or four penalties. So if you're going goals, non-penalty goals, actually Costa's streaks ahead of everyone, which is another thing to factor in. But going back to yeah, going back to the. If Costa got injured or suspended, uh, hopefully he won't get suspended in the next well, next three games. Um, yeah, uh, obviously the fact that we have we're out of the League Cup, we don't have any European football. Uh, Batshuayi is going to play in the FA Cup. Hopefully we can get all the way to Wembley again. Um, it's all about micromanagement. Um, after every game, all the players always have small niggles, that, and it takes a couple of days to recuperate. So it's just about making sure that he's he, he trains well um, and he gets gets all the rec- recuperates well and well enough after the game but if he were to get injured for whatever for whatever hit time period uh, I know Batshuayi has been unfortunate because Costa has been in such good form but uh, I think he could step up obviously it wouldn't be to the same level but I think I think he's He's an up-and-coming player, and that hence why I think we got him. Mm. Um, but yeah, still question marks. But I think someone who could do a job if it was for a week or two. But obviously, long term, yeah, it would probably be a bit of a worry, really. Mm. I mean, I work one thing on that. You know, just a caveat to that, of course, is that without any shadow of a doubt, Harry Kane always tops the dribbles uh, stats. <laughs> Mr. CFC Wade, Mr. CFC Wade's favourite stat. He does, yeah. Well, as I yeah. said, the only stat I'm really interested in is, is, is dribbles <laughs> per pint, which uh, I'm, I'm quite famous for. Anyway, uh, enough of my nonsense. After the break, uh, we'll break down why it was so hard to break down West Brom, and we'll ask: Was Conte showing tactical flexibility, or has, as uh, 
I think I can never pronounce this chap's name, but he, he, he's quite a prolific Chelsea writer, Nizar. Anyway, um, he reckons that the 3-4-3 has been found out. Uh, but anyway, we'll talk about that. And of course, can the winning run continue? And is it too early to talk about winning the title? We'll see you guys in a second. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Uh, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. I'm really very delighted, actually. A bit of a, uh, a you know, a, a new cast tonight, or relatively new. We've got uh, Seb, uh, who hasn't been on the show for a long, long time. Nice to see you again, Seb. Good to be good. Good to be back. Lovely. And uh, finally, after eight years in the planning, we we finally have the legend that is Joe Tweeds on the show. Yeah, pleasure to be here this evening, Chidge. Always good to, yeah, love. Well, yeah, I know. Better late than never, right? Eh? <laughs> um, now, just a quickie before uh, we we carry on talking about the match. But uh, I I saw Alan May's score uh, has uh, replied to my request, and he says the old his old man was playing either for an army team during his national service or for Oxford City, and Peter Braybrook was part of a Chelsea second string uh, or youth team. Uh, sorry not to be more precise, Chidge, but my dad's gone now too, so I can't check my facts. Well, um, uh, mate, that's just brilliant info. And wow, what a, what a claim to fame to say that your old man played against Peter Braybrook. So there we go. Uh, I think that's it. I'm just casting my eyes down here. There's a few of the usual suspects in uh, Mixler. So lovely to see you all. Right, on with the show. Now, um, before, in fact, before I do that, I should just uh, remind everybody for a quick plug. I cannot wait, actually... Uh, this Thursday is when I'm recording it, but uh, so the quick plug for the Kerry Dixon preview show. Uh, so it'll be available sometime, hopefully on Thursday, kind of late afternoon, evening. So make sure you download it via Acast, iTunes and SoundCloud. But I cannot wait for it this week because for anybody who listened to it this uh, last week will remember, of course, that uh, Kerry was very bumptious about uh, Chelsea were going to absolutely piss it against West Brom and win 3-0. And I was very, well, Kerry, I think it's going to be a bit tougher than that. I think that West Brom will come and defend and they'll kick us and they'll time waste and I can just see us sneaking a 1-0. And he said, no, 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 rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. They're going to piss it. And I said, well, OK, you're so positive about it that I'm going to go for a 3-1 prediction. And actually, I'll let you into secret, people. The great man phoned me this morning to say, Chidge, you were spot on, mate. Well done. And I think he's even promised to mention that on the show this week. So there we go. Obviously, I am feeling very good about that. Um, other than all of that, um, of course, uh, well, if you a great idea for a Christmas present for somebody uh, you love who loves Chelsea, of course, is Kerry Dixon's biography, which is called Upfront, which you can grab from Amazon for about fifteen quid. And talking of which, um, if Marvin's listening, I picked the book up. It's all sorted, and I'll get it in the post this week. Anyway, enough. Um, I've kind of entitled this part "Typical Horrible Poolist Team." Uh, and one of my points to Kerry in uh, last week's show was, in fact, that that Tony Poulis is a wily old school manager. And I just had a sense that he would turn up and, and he did not disappoint. I mean, obdurate defending, clearly came with a game plan. 
I mean, the most unbelievable uh, time-wasting. It reminded me of playing Bolton against Sam Allardyce. They used to use exactly the same tactics, kicking anybody that moved, but particularly Eden Hazard, who, I frankly, I think, once he got kicked, decided to hide. And I, and I don't mean that in a nasty way, but, I mean, Hazard has, you know, quite often been kicked out of a game, uh, and, and I felt he had been. Um, but frankly, chaps, um, Seb, I mean, I don't think we should really knock that. I mean, in my view, it's up to us to break them down. And, you know, you have to expect that some teams are going to do that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, let's not forget, I mean, these are the, these are the two most informed teams over the last five league games. So uh, West Brom are a very good team. I know they they didn't come out to play particularly play, but uh, yeah, like you said, it's up to us to break them down. You, at the end of the day, you know what Pulis team is going to do. Uh, you're going to have two or three chances and you've just got to make make them count. And fortunately, we made it count. And um, yeah, I was actually with um, Mr. Charlie Skillen on Wednesday night. We went out for dinner and we were just talking about what games were coming up. And I said, this this game against West Brom was going to be the potential banana skin. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised it, it was a tight affair. Um and I'm sure we'll be talking about their their tactics later on, but it's yeah, it's it's it was like that, and fortunately we got the right the right score in the end. Uh, that's quite. I'm sorry, I got <laughs> Seb. What you said was absolutely spot on and fantastic, but my mind wandered as I saw a post from the wonderful Sajin, who uh, will remind me any second now that I still haven't sent him the book that I own. Uh, but he says I kind of miss the times when Chidge plugs a pint of Guinness. Sounds far too sober. <laughs> Yes, I can't argue with that, Sajin. Um, sadly, I don't have a, a barrel of Guinness on draft in my loft, which is where I am at the moment. Um, but, you know, to be fair, I try and make up for it at the weekend when I go to the Chelsea. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think we're in total agreement here. And I think the other thing uh, that, that was a very salient point within this, that um, I thought that, that West Brom and Pulis set up that, that their side so well. We didn't really have a shot on target, did we, in the first half? I don't remember no. one. No, no, they no it didn't. And just the point, are we all their back four are at least six foot two, three, and we were putting trying to put high balls into the box, and that that's just not, that wasn't working. I think you needed more lower balls or cutbacks, things like that, rather than it, it playing into their hands really. So I think that's the reason why we didn't sort of get into the box enough, and especially in the first half. Yeah, I mean they played very well. I mean, my thought, Joe, is that uh, and 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 you know. I mean, in a sense, no pun intended here, but uh, West Brom, are, are under Pulis, of course, are becoming the new Stoke in a way, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, there's there's huge similarities with them, and I actually thought some some of uh, Fabregas' comments after the game were quite interesting about how Conte had been sort of preparing to play against this sort of team a week, and they were kind of getting used to the mental aspect of, of playing against a team who basically had about 10, you know, that, that sort of mentality that, that they must have been training with. So I think, you know, from Conte's perspective, probably he was, you know, factoring in some of what they were going to do. But I think ultimately this is a game where as soon as West Brom kind of realised that some of the things they were doing, particularly to Hazard and some of their sort of tactics and some roughhouse kind of midfield play, as soon as they realised Mike Dean was being fairly lean, that really sorts of, you know, sets the tone of the game. You combine that with the fact that we don't score an early goal. And the more the game goes on, the more you get that feeling that this is just going to sort of you know, kind of pilter you know, towards a, a draw and we probably will kind of break the winning streak that we've had. But yeah, I mean, you know, typical, typical Tony Pulis team, incredibly well organised. Um, you know, they're, they're, if you actually kind of watch their movement as a back four or back six in the midfield, 
it's almost like a table football team where you kind of shift them from left to right. You know, there was no space there. Um, and I think in particular, Phil Neville, although probably not the best pundit, was pretty good at picking out the fact that they had so many bodies, you know, back yeah. there. And it was particularly difficult for us to, to try and break them down. Um, yeah, so definitely don't, you know, definitely don't knock the approach. It's something that we obviously have tried um, in the new camp and other places, perhaps not to that kind of back six, seven extent. But still, you know, I think it's it's something that, that you know, we were probably expecting to see. And, you know, it's a typical Tony Pulis, Stoke-esque performance, which thankfully, um, you know, cost us a bit of brilliance, turned it from a, a draw into a victory. Mm, I think it's really interesting, actually, because that absolutely underlines. And I mean, I, I was having a chat with somebody last week about this, that, you know, it's an entirely different game when you're at the ground than it is to when you're watching it on TV. And, you know, you could see it, you could see it so well, uh, you know, if you were there, how well organised uh, West Brom were and exactly what you're describing, Joe, the way they would shift left to right and they'd have a bank of eight, quite often nine people behind the ball. Whenever they lost the ball, they got everybody back. A lot of frustration from the Chelsea supporters, you know, to try and get them to move the ball quickly because by the time they'd made their decision... All of the Stoke players, uh, oh, sorry, there you go, pun intended. All of the West Brom players were behind the ball, you know. And and I tell you what, one thing I really missed uh, yesterday, Joe, was the the looking over towards where you sit and with the raised eyebrows. You know, I remember many moments during games, Joe and I would just cast a look in each other's direction with a, with a raised eyebrow or three. Isn't that right, Joe? I don't think anything has ever beaten the time that Pedro did that ridiculous dribble where he sort of picked the ball up on the halfway line and ended up giving away a corner. I think that was. Still one of the most comical moments. I think Chidge and I looked at each other and just burst out laughing for a good three That's minutes. I remember so, uh, that. Yeah, I yeah, remember yeah. that. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely one of my favourite uh, weird, strange, non-good Chelsea memories, but yeah. Indeed. Here, here's a question for you, Joe. How do you break that down? I mean, because to me, it looked like they did try everything. They tried to go through the middle. They tried to go wide. They went long. But, I mean, how do you break that down? Well, I mean, this, this is, you know, I think a lot of people were getting frustrated with the game, but, I mean, this is sort of how I would kind of phrase it, you know, we played Barcelona with a makeshift team. We had Didier Dropper at left back, Ashley Cole was playing centre-half, Basinga was playing centre-half. You know, this is Barcelona at the absolute peak of their powers with Messi, with all the fantastic players. They needed to score one goal against us and they couldn't score. So, you know, if you have a team that has a desire, the kind of will, the organisation and just the sort of mentality that you're not going to score, it's not always just a case of the fact you've got Hazard, the fact you've got Costa, you know, you've got these creative players that you should be able to cut them to pieces. Um, so I think, you know, that mentality probably from our fans, just, you know, maybe expecting to roll them over somewhat, definitely, uh, you know, obviously come back to bite us a little bit. So, but I mean, in terms of, the, you know, I think we were we were pretty good at moving the ball, but I mean, ultimately, you know, they had pretty much four centre-halves defending the width of their penalty area. And, you know, I think uh, realistically, any team, doesn't matter how many, you know, fantastic players you've got in your team, that's always going to be so difficult to to try and break down. Um, you know, you actually look at the goal itself, it's, you know, it's a hopeful out wide. And, and maybe that was that was the key earlier, was maybe to to get Costa to kind of peel wide because, you know, he drags McCauley with him, wins one, you know, one-on-one -on -one battle, and then bang, he's inside and scores. Maybe that was the, the thing that he needed to do, was sort of go against the grain a bit and try and pull them a little bit out of position. Maybe they were told to man-mark him, but I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, it's just one of those games where, where, you know, I think West Brom had a really, really good game plan. They had a, yeah. a really well-organised team set up and it was it was probably going to take a moment of magic to score. And, you know, when we said, when we look at teams like Barcelona, they play teams who, who operate in this manner almost every other week. You know, when Lionel Messi beats three players and six in the top corner, everyone goes, you know, well done Barcelona, rather than, you know, the fact the other team have, have limited them to, you know, to 
having to make Messi do something outrageous or Neymar or Suarez. So, yeah, I think, you know, you have to give them a lot of credit, particularly in the way yeah. they've set up. But, yeah. you know, I don't think it's, it's not always an, e- an easy case of we've got good players on paper, so we should be able to pull them apart. They are very well organised. We, we know what Pulis has been, has been about, you know, since he's been in the Premier League. So I don't think it was really surprised. It was a more difficult game than, than we'd hoped. Um, but I said, ultimately, maybe it was just Costa just pulling one of them out of position was just enough to create a bit of space to shift in and score. So, yeah, could literally just just a moment of genius, really. No, I, I agree with that. And, of course, it's, it's something that the nappy shitters absolutely hate. And I think that a lot of them do tend to forget that, you know, there is another team on the pitch, you know, and they have a right to... They don't have a right, but, that you know, that there's... You know, no reason to to think that they won't turn up and and, and play really, really well and be really, really organised. And I thought that's what they were. Um, But we kind of are are beginning to touch into the next thing I want to talk about, really, which is um, Conte and his flexibility. And, you know, I I actually thought, I personally, I I thought he was brilliant. And, And I think in many respects what he did, although one can argue, you know, perhaps that goal was a bit lucky in the way it was created. But I actually think that the changes that he made... um worked in the sense that they got us the win that we needed but uh, just to kind of uh, summarize what he did um, you know he, he took Pedro off uh, went 4-2-4 put Moses left and, and William right um, and that didn't really make an awful lot of difference although of course I do, I do think that Pedro was was you know who, who actually I just I changed my mind last week on the show and decided that he's all right after all but I think this was kind of a game that was not really designed for Pedro because he was getting pushed off the ball a lot uh, and then he brought on Fabregas for Moses and kind of went four three three and and sometimes four two three one and and a minute later we scored and it was it was Fabregas who who, who pushed the ball up to to Costa wasn't it and then when we got the goal um, you know with about eleven minutes to go twenty minutes to go he kind of he took Hazard off and put Branner on went back to three five well went to three five two and and defended the lead so you know I I can't see anything wrong with that I thought that that was brilliant I'd rather he he made I mean the only the only other change I could have perhaps suggested was maybe he brought on bat bat you know bat Shuai to have two strikers up there but other than that I, you know that's what I want to see my manager do I want him to to not sit there and just wait for something to happen I want him to try and affect the game and make changes and that's what he did and it worked Seb didn't it yeah I mean that's the, the only small criticism we had at the start of the season of Conte was the the lack of changes against mm. against Liverpool I mean it took what 82 minutes to put on the first substitution when you're at home, um, so yeah, I, I, I applaud, applaud Conte for having the well, the cojones to do it um, so, early, so early on on the second half. Because if we'd carried on with the same eleven, West Brom probably would have been happy with taking a point. Um, but by changing it, obviously they they bring on fresh legs and it against tired legs. Then you you it just mixed up a little bit. So yeah, it was great that. We could take up someone like Pedro, who's played well, but then bring on, bring on uh, William, who's he's had a great couple of games as well. Uh, I know his personal issues off the field for him, but he's since he's come back, he's he's been great. So it was it was it was just bringing even more energy um, to the to the team, which is great. But um, yeah, as soon as I noticed when um, as soon as we scored, um, I looked at Tony Pulis, and he was gesturing to all of his substitutes to come come back come back all the all the big boys like Nasser Chadley and so forth I mean you could just see that they were going to start lumping it out forwards which they obviously did by the end which is which is great to see mm. I mean I, I mean there was a kind of a bit of a sense that we were you know hanging on at the end and I, I hate to see that 
But uh, you know, sometimes that's how it how it works out. And I, and I have to say, actually, and and, and Steve Hadlow, the lovely Steve, uh, has just uh, reminded me with a post he's put on. He's clearly I don't know how he's managing to to do this to listen to us and to listen to Radio Five Live at the same time. That is quite a skill, to which I applaud. Uh, but he said that, that that Robbie Savage is going on about two massive tackles by uh, Gary Cahill. At least I think that's what he says. It's not saying that he's got he's got a massive tackle, but he could could be. But anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, it should be said, Gary Cahill was superb uh, uh, yesterday and, and absolutely right. He made a couple of fantastic uh, interceptions and tackles, didn't he? It kept us in the game, Joe. Yeah, I mean, I think the... I don't know, not necessarily that it's been a surprising thing, but I think Cahill probably, you know, since the formation change, he's really kind of kind of stepped it up, particularly from a defensive standpoint. I know there's there's obviously a lot of kind of debate about whether he should be in the team or, you know, whether he's a weak, weak link, but... I think yesterday, I also think as well that, that Louise definitely wasn't wasn't no. 100% fit. And mm. I think, you know, Louise has been really sort of carrying that back free from an organisational standpoint for a long time. And I actually felt for the first time yesterday, Cahill really kind of stepped into more of a leadership role and actually started controlling things. And, you know, I think some of the tackles he made were, were really, really superb. But it was just, you know, the, the, the kind of, he's the sort of personality you need, you know, last sort of five minutes, West Brom, you know, they're bringing on sort of all these sort of 11 foot tall players. You know, who is probably one of the best defenders of, of a penalty area in world football. You know, he throws himself in front of the ball. He'll get ahead on it. He'll get anything on the ball to stop it from going in there. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I think realistically yesterday, probably probably the best game he's had this season. Um, I know, obviously, the, the level of opposition, but from a, you know, a stylistic standpoint, I think Cahill was, was superb and really, really, towards the end, was, was kind of one of the key reasons that they didn't actually score. Well, I mean, look, I, I need no convincing. I'm, I'm a big Gary Cahill fan, and I, I think he gets a very... I mean, we actually talked about it a lot on last week's show. I think he gets a, a really rough a rough and very undeserved hard time from a lot of Chelsea supporters. You know, I, I'd be the first to admit, I don't think he's the world's best defender, but, I, I you know, it, it, great teams are not about having 11 world-class players. It's about having the best team, you know, and, and I think you're right. I think with Louise... Uh, wonderfully assuming the role that he has in a sense I think it's helped Gary Cahill to be honest um Mark Mark Barfoot my my lovely mate Mark Barfoot makes a great point um as captain Gary still needs to be far more vocal um I'm not so sure actually I mean I'm a great believer in the fact that teams need more than just one leader and I think it's very difficult isn't it to compare you know, Gary Cahill is the captain to JT when he's on the pitch because, of course, JT, one of my favourite uh, vines that I think I've ever seen was like a little edited sequence of John Terry randomly shouting at anything. You know, it didn't even have to be a player. Gary, uh, that John Terry would just shout, wouldn't he, randomly? But, of course, he was incredibly vocal as a captain and really stood out, and I think it's difficult to compare the two. But uh, I think, Mark, the bottom line is is that you need four or five leaders on the pitch. Um, but I think I think... You know, Cahill kind of leads by example, really, doesn't he, Seb? Yeah, I mean, we, we've been really fortunate over the last mm. 10 years or so to have international captains like Balak, Lampard, Essien, Czech, Terry, Drogba, all these big name players. Mm. We've, we've been so fortunate. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, very, it's, unfortunate, it's an unfair comparison to, to compare JT to Cahill because... If if Cahill was at a club again like where he was at Villa, he'd be a great captain for that yeah. for that level. So to have him come to Chelsea, yeah, it's it, you can't, he's obviously he's not the greatest captain, but with JT being out, there, there's someone has to step up to the plate, and obviously Luis is starting to show signs of that, which is great because 
he seems like the most natural leader to me. Um, but I, th- I think Kale's, uh, like Joe, like Joe said yesterday, it was great because J- uh, Kale's a physical defender. He, he he's not one who's gonna. He's not a ball-playing centre-back like um, like Stones. So that last 10 minutes, I, I was really convinced that we weren't going to concede because with Cahill and Luis at the back there and the way they're playing with Aspie, I knew we wouldn't concede. Mm. I tell you what is interesting, though, and I, I mean, to, to be fair to match of the day two, uh, they made this point. Um, but we are now beginning, I think, to see an, a new spine of the team evolving. You know, you've got Courtois, Luis... Kante, Costa, you know, mm. arguably throw in Hazard into that mix, but you know, there's a, a, you know, a definite spine of that team, and 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 Shearer was making this point, or Neville, I can't remember about, uh, I think actually it might be Neville, uh, about the fact that uh, this is what Ferguson had all the time, and basically the spine of the team were the players that never got rotated, they never got dropped, and I mean that's what I mean. So really, as as I said, it's Courtois, Louise. Kante, Hazard and Costa that's now the new spine of this team and I think with that I'm feeling a lot more confident and and you can see that running through the team's veins as well because I don't think we've had a spine to compare with the spine of that great 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 team with Czech, Terry, Lampard Drogba for example Joe? Yeah I mean I I 100% agree on that Chich actually Um, I think last season I think you know one of the things that was frequently mentioned was that we had no real backbone to the team at all. You know, it was sort of kind of meandering through games where no one would kind of step up. Whereas now, I think particularly with Louise coming back, I kind of feel maybe that he's a lot more influential than, than we kind of realised. You know, he's kind of, he's in with sort of the Brazilian players, the Spanish players, you know, he speaks French with the French guys. So he seems to have that sort of personality, which I think we've we've missed within that dressing room. Someone who can kind of unite sort of the kind of English, British speakers and kind of the Latin American guys and the Spanish and French guys. And, you know, you even see it when he left, you know, PSG, you know, he, he I think I've seen him go back there a couple of times, you know, he seems to be one of the more popular players and, you know, him at the back, I think Courtois, again, you know, has, has started to play particularly well again. I think, you know, Man City game, you know, looking back at that, first time he's made a couple of really big, important saves in a big game. Um, you know, Kante as well, who you know, reminds me kind of like a little mini SEM. I think he's, he's, you know, been a fantastic addition. And, you know, Costa in this form is, is the closest thing you're going to get to a, a Didier Drogba in this day and age. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that spine really is, is a fantastic foundation. And, you know, you're looking kind of long term, you start building around that team, you start getting a bit of better, you know, better squad players in, maybe a few players into that sort of first 11. I think, you know, realistically, I know we're talking about this a little bit later, but, you know, with that sort of spine and the kind of foundational players there, that we could actually go on and do some, some pretty interesting things next season in Europe, you know, with that mm. kind of spine and building around them. So, yeah, definitely... Uh, Huge improvement in what we've seen probably over maybe the past two two seasons. Um, maybe not so much in the league title win, but definitely, definitely last season. We've got a bit more of a character back in the team. Um, and yeah, you know, I think those sort of uh, results that we had yesterday, the 1-0 against West Brom, we wouldn't have won that game last season. We would have, we would have drawn, we would have probably lost it. So, you know, character plays a huge, huge role in, in title, you know, title charges, you know, title running, whatever. But yeah, I think definitely we're seeing the emergence of a spine and, and uh, you know, the key thing being that we can build around it. Indeed we are. And remember, it was me that coined the, the term back in 2012 to David Louise, Captain Geezer legend. So never, ever forget <laughs> that, people. Um, just to kind of close up this part, um, you know, the winning streak, now it's now nine games, uh, nine wins in a row. 
which we uh, achieved in uh, April 07 and uh, October 2005. Um, we managed 10, game, 10 wins in a row in January 2006, and we managed 11 wins in a row, which is the best we've ever done in the Premier League, in September 2009. Carlo Ancelotti's great entertaining team. Uh, the only clubs that have done better than us in that respect are Man United, who did 12 wins in a row in 2000, and Arsenal, who did 14 in 2002. Um, do we see it continuing, chaps? Seb, what do you reckon? Well, like I said earlier, I thought yesterday was our biggest um, biggest test, really, uh, because West Brom at home, we knew exactly what they'd do, how they'd set up. But the game on Wednesday, uh, Sunderland lost at the weekend, so they, they're at the bottom of the table now, so it's top versus bottom, and they're at home. They need to win. So I can definitely see us winning on Wednesday. And, and then Palace, Palace have been all over the place. So I think there's definitely a big opportunity to definitely take it, well, at least equal, well, sorry, to get the, our, our own record at least. Um, after that, who knows against, I think it's West Brom, um, uh, Bournemouth, isn't it? Um, you know, at Christmas, we've seen a couple of times over the last couple of years, like it, and it can play a big role playing two or three games in eight 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 days usually, but I think we've got so much momentum at the moment. I just can't see anything else but at least equaling Man United's record, and it'd be great if it could be Arsenal's record. And outdoing Arsenal, anything would be great. I agree entirely. I mean, to to, to break the the absolute all time record, we'd have to. The, the 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 fifteenth win, if we were to get one, would be against Leicester. That means the record equaling one would be beating Tottenham away. Um, so both of those would be mouth mouth watering. But I mean, I, I just wonder if if you know I you know I thought I thought West Brom might be a banana skin, uh, and I'm very glad that it, it proved otherwise. But you know, in a funny old sense, the, do you know what Seb? When you said, oh, you know, it's top versus bottom against uh, Sunderland on Wednesday night. My, my, I, I shuddered when I heard that because that's just a classic Chelsea banana skin uh, that we would go up to Sunderland who are bottom and they would get a result against us. Um, and I think Palace too, in a sense, you know, Pardew is such an irritating little tit and I can see him getting a result against us. So, I mean, whilst on one hand I'm filled with a huge amount of confidence uh, and, and, and absolutely backed up by the way that the team are playing and the way that Conte is managing, but, you know, I've, I've still got that residual... You know Chelsea issue of anybody who supported the the club for a long long time is that you know you just know that a mad result's just around the corner. Joe, are you are you? Hopefully you're going to tell me shut up, Chiz. That's a load of rubbish. Don't be so silly. I'm kind of half and half to be perfectly honest. I mean I look at Sunderland every season and they sort of turn into like peak Barcelona and Brazil combined whenever we go up there. So I know they've got David Moyes and it's a slightly different team this season, but. They're always one of the teams that you kind of look out for that, that seem to just completely pack their absolute maximum best whenever they play against us. You know, David Moyes, the fact that comes into play as well, normally you know, he sets his teams up fairly rigid against us. But, I mean, being, being realistic and sort of taking off kind of the sort of Chelsea angst glasses, you know, Sunderland, Palace, Bournemouth, Stoke, you know, you'd expect us to, to maybe win all those games, particularly Bournemouth and Stoke at home. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I probably I'm with you, Chisholm. I think maybe Palace away, Pardew is probably the one that I think might be a little bit difficult. But uh, yeah, it would be fantastic to to break the record against Spurs away. Um, 
I think, again, a team that I'm, I'm usually quite worried about playing against him at the moment, but for whatever reason, Pochettino seems to not necessarily have lost the plot a bit, but I think he's he's kind of finding the pressure of, of you know, obviously the European football that they have had um, and trying to maintain it with the league. I don't think he's necessarily managing that as well as you would expect someone who is as highly rated as he is. So hopefully, you know, by the time we play them, that they're still not flying on all cylinders and, and we can kind of nick that there, which would be uh, fantastic. Well, I bloody hope hope it's not going to be Palace because I'm going to be there uh, next uh, Saturday. So uh, mm. anyway, uh, we're going to move on. I'm going to pick up on some of the stuff that we didn't get through uh, uh, in this part, actually, about the title and the FA points deduction rumour. Uh, but after the break, we'll be looking at that as well as uh, Wednesday's match against Sunderland, which we've already started to talk about. And uh, even further ahead in terms of what might happen in the January transfer window. We will see you in a second. Chidge. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Okay, it's good to be back after a short little break. Uh, I'm Stanford Chidge, and you're, you're, of course, listening to the Chelsea Fancast. And I've got with me tonight the wonderful Joe Tweeds. Good evening, everyone. And I've got the uh, equally lovely Seb O'Mahony. So there you go. Right. Um, yeah, we didn't quite get around to it in, in, in part two, but I, I really do think we should talk about it because there's been a lot of talk, uh, which always, again, you know, the old Chelsea in me comes out and people talking about, um, I mean, I think uh, the wonderful Joe, uh, Gary Hayes wrote a, an article on the Bleacher Report, um, really saying that it's our title to lose. Um 
and I just wonder if that's a little bit premature. Uh, we're not even halfway through the season yet, uh, and I start to get wobbly and uh, feel the need to drink eight pints of Guinness to forget about it. But just to kind of, you know, give this some context, chaps, um, you know, in terms of who, who the threats might be, um, you know, City and Liverpool, I think, still look very flawed, um, you know, judging by City's recent form. And and I think, actually, the thing that's interesting about both City and Liverpool and, and what, you know, binds them together is the fact that they've both got awful goalkeepers and you don't win titles with a shit goalkeeper um but on the other side of the coin arsenal you know are looking the only decent uh rivals that we have in the title race at the moment but come on surely by march they'll you know go pear-shaped as they always do but they've got a you know they're looking they are looking decent at the moment and the other team that's i wouldn't say worrying me quite yet because they are quite a way behind in fact somebody pointed out that united are still nearer to the relegation zone than they are to us but uh you know i thought that they played quite well yesterday and i thought that um that they're beginning to gel a bit you know i think Mourinho's beginning to find the team that he likes and surely you can't write Mourinho off so you know given all of that joe you know um is it ours to lose or should should, should i should i be as worried as i always am i think it's it's a little bit premature at the moment i mean i think you know, you've got to maybe start looking at sort of towards the end of January, February to sort of see where we are in the mix. You know, I'm, I do have concerns about the depth in the team. You know, we spoke earlier about potentially losing Costa, Hazard, you know, Louise or Kante, these sorts of key players for an extended period of time. We don't really have, you know, high quality replacements for some of these players. So you know, you're only really kind of an injury or suspension away from from potentially signing going a bit of a downward turn. You know, in terms of sort of title challenges. I think looking at Liverpool in particular, you know, the fact that you need to score, you know, like 50 goals a game because you can't defend, you're surely you're not going to win a league title having to win every game 6-5, 4-5, you know, I, I can't see them really keeping up. Uh, City, I'm really not sure what to make of them at the moment under Guardiola, you know, they've spent a, a ton in the summer and they seem like they, they can't put a, a back four, back three or whatever formation together to save their lives at the moment. United, I think Jose might have left it a little bit too late. You never know. You can't really write him off. I think last season, maybe still, you know, probably, you know, it's going to be something that's that's an outlier in his career. But you know, you saw shades of what Paul Pogba can start to do against uh, Tottenham, and I think you know a lot of it has been made of him not playing fantastically well. But he's a very very gifted midfielder, and you know, I haven't seen anyone really boss uh, Musa Dembele as as badly, you know, as, as as what happened when when Pogba played against him yesterday. Arsenal, you know, again. Are they going to crumble? Are they going to keep it up? I mean, they they kind of snuck in second last season. They're always kind of there or thereabouts. But again, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just I can't look at them as a as a realistic threat. Um, I don't. I just don't think they're really that good. You know, I think they're they're a team that you know you look at Özil and and Suarez and and not Suarez. What's the guy's name? Sanchez. Sorry. Um, you know, they they're fantastic at turning up and sort of slapping the West Ham's in this world by four and five and and playing unbelievable football. But you know, the majority of times against anyone half decent, you know, they, they go missing in, in kind of the worst way. So I don't know whether they've just, they want a bit of a purple patch because of the teams they're playing against at the moment. But, you know, I think we'll probably know a little bit more about them. I think they've got City soon. It might be, I don't know if it's this weekend or or at some point they've got them pretty soon. So I think we'll know a bit more about them then. But, you know, is it ours to lose? Possibly, but I don't really want to sort of nail my uh, colours to that mask just yet. Mm, quite right. I think I think the salient point uh, in, in all of that, Seb, is the fact that, you know, I think the thing that does concern us all really is, 
you know, if you if if we lose Hazard through injury, if we if we lose Costa through injury or suspension, or if we if we if we lose any of that spine that we were talking about in part two, I, I just get the sense that we look a bit vulnerable. And you know, one of the things that uh, that makes me think that is that game we played in the EFL Cup uh, against West Ham when we pretty much didn't play our first team. And they they didn't look up to it at all, and I I just wonder if if something similar might happen if 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 you know we did get stuffed with a few injuries or suspensions. Yeah, I mean we well, well we could potentially be only playing forty two games this season, so obviously there's less chance of getting injuries. But yeah, you, you can't you can't take you can't take can't can't take a chance on that really. So yeah, I mean, but every club have has has that issue of having a big star player get injured. So we just, again, we just have to sort of micromanage it. If it happens during a game, then obviously it's unfortunate. But yeah, just touching on Joe's point. Yeah, I think January is going to be a big, uh, big opportunity for a couple of clubs. I mean, uh, I mean, it's quite funny because I, I work as a, a football intermediary. So January is going to be busy for me. Uh, I don't, I don't do Premier League. Uh, deals, but I, I I sort of do League One level really. So the the thing is, though I don't think there's going to be that much in January done. So hopefully, in a way, that will be good for us because then no one else can sort of strengthen. I I just don't think there's the sort of the the sort of marquee players will go in January because they'll be playing European football. They'll be cup tied or they just won't go in January. So I think. If we did get an injury somewhere, I think we'd have to use what we'd have because I just don't think the sort of uh, big marquee clubs will sort of sell to us. As we saw in the summer with Nangaland and so forth, they were they, they were happy to keep them on a new contract and make us pay through the roof. But that's how it works. Uh, Seb, that's a that's a very good point and and a good segue. I'm gonna I'm gonna leap over the FA points deduction and Sunderland and, and get straight to the uh, the transfer window actually because it seems to link very very well there. Um, and I think given what what we were saying about you know we we've now developed this spine to the team and and you know do we have people that can come in and and do a really good job and, and match what they were doing or not? In other words, you know cover for Kante. I think the obvious name that sticks out is is Rajan Nangalan, but as you say, I mean, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't seem very realistic that we'd be able to get him in the January window, and you could probably say the same about, um, you know, I mean, cover for the defence. Zuma may or may not be ready yet. Christensen's still going to be on loan, and I think he's probably going to come back in the summer. But so that the talk was all about uh, Khalidu Kulibali, and of course. Um, Couple of oh, Ben Gibson's been mentioned as well, and there's some other chap, some English lad. I can't remember his name because you know I'm not very good at this stuff. But the, the, there are there are people that have been talked about, but like you, I don't really see them coming in. You know, because they're going to be playing for big clubs who are playing in Europe. And they're not going to let them go, are they, Seb? Yeah, um, it's, it's, there'll be uh, the sort of extra twenty percent on how much they're really worth. Um, but that, that unfortunately, that's how football works nowadays. So. Yeah, it's, it's it's it'll be unfortunate if we got a long-term injury on some, a player, but I think I I just think we've we've been pretty lucky this season. We've had barely any injuries, uh, but again, that's sim- I think that's simply because we played fewer games. Like I said, we could only play if if we got knocked out by P 
Peterborough and Notts County, we could be playing. We'd be only play forty two games, forty one or forty two games a season, which is which is great because then there's obviously a better chance of winning the league. Mm. Um, you know, Joe, what what cover do we need? Do you think? And I mean, I think I don't know. I mean, you might disagree about whether we're, we're likely to get anybody or, or anybody decent in the in the January transfer window. But you know, looking ahead, where do we go transfer wise? Um, I mean, I think realistically, if we were going to sort of go out and spend money in January, I could probably see us going for a centre half. Um, I think Conte probably wants another kind of ball playing type player next to Louise. Um, you know, a lot of this sort of three four three system you have. If you look at sort of Italy, you had I think Barzagli and and Bonucci were both really really good passers of the ball, and I think that you know helped Italy with not a really fantastic set of players look quite good on the front foot, and I think that's probably something that he's he's going to be looking at to, to find maybe a centre half, either you know whether that's you know sitting in uh, Gary Cahill's spot or whether that's going to be Aspilicueta. But you know, I could possibly see us pushing for a centre-half. Um, I think, I don't know if this is true or not, but I read that, that Virgil van Dijk at Southampton has got a pretty decent release clause, about £25 million, which in sort of the current climate seems a pretty good deal for a you know, very, very good Premier League centre-half who, in my opinion, could definitely step up to kind of Champions League ne- level next year. Um, I think we're definitely light in the wing-back areas, particularly on the left-hand side. You know, if you put Asby out there, I just don't think, you know, I'm not necessarily Marcus Alonso's biggest fan, but you know, he is left-footed and he does give you that sort of natural width out there, which I don't think you would get with Azpilicueta. So that would be a bit of a concern. And yeah, I think Kante, again, is the, is the big threat there. Um, again, I'd read recently that Roma had promised Nangalang this sort of big bumper deal. You know, that the, re- the main reason he didn't really sort of push for a move was that Roma had, had kind of offered him this sort of, you know, huge deal that, that would keep him in Rome, but that hasn't really come to fruition. So it would be interesting to see whether we go back in for him, you know, knowing that, that Roma potentially don't have the funds there um, to go for him because I, I'm still kind of of the opinion that either, probably not Fabregas now that he's sort of playing a bit more, but Fabregas or Oscar potentially could leave the club in January. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we would probably buy someone a bit more suited to to playing in this system than, than one of those two. So, yeah, I mean, I still think that's the case. But, you know, realistically, I think, you know, what Seb's saying, particularly about the, the lack of football that we're playing this season, I think we could probably get by until the end of the season with this squad. But, you know, depending on how ambitious the club want to be going forward I think you know we definitely need to strengthen in at least maybe four or five positions um, in the summer whether that is you know going out and buying big marquee players or just sort of trying to you know increase some of the depth in the squad because at the moment you know I can't see a, a left a natural left wing back within the you know within the squad you know that, that's currently at the club so yeah I mean I think there's a few areas that we definitely need to look at. Well, I mean, turning it around, and I, I can't, I'm inclined to agree with you. I, I just, you know, I mean, I think it's it's easy to fall for the usual bullshit. As oh, nobody buys anybody decent in the January transfer window. Uh, David Luiz, um, you know, yeah. but g- give, given that quite often you don't see some excellent buys in the January transfer window. What about some of the youth players? I mean, Kennedy could Kennedy not do a job at uh, as the left wing back? Well, well I've seen that he's. Just been recalled from Watford. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, back, back from Watford. Um, I mean, when he did play last season in that left back position, um, he did get found out. But obviously, that's not his 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 fault, really. Obviously, this would be a slightly different position, so there's there's definitely a scope for it. Mm. But my my worry is Kennedy. Um, I've I've heard from several people. In the club that, um, that potentially he's maybe not of 
Chelsea's level. Um, just maybe the mere fact that it, at Watford it's not worked out, it's potentially a, a, a something that they might have to look out in the short term. But I think long term, I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of rely on on Kennedy sort of. Uh, being a competition for Marcus Alonso, although he's a very good player, I, I don't think it's maybe um, the sort of player I'd be looking at. Maybe I, I know Joe. I think I think Joe's mentioned it on Twitter before, but uh, Rodriguez at Wolfsburg is a very good player. The Swiss left back. Uh, I mean, fantastic uh, pace, set piece wise. I've noticed just going talking about yesterday. The set pieces yesterday were. I know we were playing West Brom, weren't? They were a very tall team. But I think recently there's been kind of set pieces have been pretty poor. So I think maybe someone who's good at set pieces would be a good addition. Um, if not in January, definitely in the summer. Mm. Joe? Um, I think the main one for me is, is probably not necessarily at wing back, but I think Nathaniel Chaloba has mm. has probably earned more sort of playing time. I think and sort of given his, his skill set, he could... He could be sort of a Kante deputy. He could be kind of a Matic deputy. But, you know, I think he's he's probably done more than probably any youth player in the fact he's actually seems to have legitimately earned, you know, Conte's trust in terms of actually coming on in sort of really important times during games to sort of close the game down and add a bit more steel into midfield. But I think we've seen, you know, glimpses in the, the League Cup game where he started, you know, he had that sort of fantastic shot. He's got a really good range of passing. He's actually very good on the ball and, I think with you know potential run of games in the side, you know, he could be the the one that sort of maybe steps in and, and starts commanding a place because I think you know realistically, you know he's he's very comfortable on the ball. You know he doesn't have Matic's frame, but you know he's what six foot one. I think Chalaber is. He's very solid. You know he's aggressive. So I think he would be probably my option if you're looking at maybe a Kante replacement or someone to come in and deputise. Um, you know I, I really fancy him as a as a player. I think he's he's got a lot about him and. Yeah, I mean, he would be the one that I would like to try and push into that centre midfield role because I think he's got a lot to give and potentially could save us a lot of money in the summer. Well, I mean, whether that's an issue or not, I don't know. But I mean, I've been saying for weeks that that you know, it it, I don't I don't really give a shit how how young these players are, you know. But you you can tell when they step onto the pitch whether they can do it or not, and you know, quite often they look out of their depth. And I'm afraid, you know, Rupert Lofter's cheek springs to mind there, whereas Chaloba looks like he's been playing uh, for years and years and years. And, of course, the comparison is valid because, of course, Chaloba's had so much experience out on loan playing for Watford, as you said. He played for uh, Napoli, of course, as well. You know, he's got he's he's got a lot more flying hours, if you like, for want of a better an- analogy. And he looks like it. He looks like he, you know, yeah. can play there. And 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 you know, so there are these players around, and I think, and I think, I think he is definitely the most likely. I I, I mean, you know, Loftus Cheeks disappeared without a trace, hasn't he, Joe? Yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing actually this season is that if you think Tammy Abraham's first experience of adult, adult football has been this season, so a couple of months, he's actually played more adult football minutes than Loftus Cheek has in two or two and a bit years now. So, mm. you know, when you look at kind of game times, you, you sort of compared sort of Ruben to other kind of similar, you know, I suppose similar sort of players at his age group when he was coming up and they've played, you know, thousands upon thousands of adult minutes. I think he, he hasn't even broken maybe the thousand minute barrier yet. So, you know, games are going to be anything that really develops him. And I felt last season, you know, we really missed a trick. Someone should have just said, look, let's just put him in for 10, 15 games and see what we've got, you know, play him in the position that he's used yeah. to, not kind of forcing him into being a striker, forcing him to be a number 10. I know there's issues about his stamina and all that kind of stuff, but you know, give him 10, 15 games in a team that really was doing nothing and going nowhere. 
you know, we, we might have actually seen a bit more about what we have. But again, this season, you know, we've seen him, you know, I don't know if he's actually played at all this season, but, you know, it's, it's not really going to help him develop into the player that he, he potentially could be. Uh, and for me personally, in January, he's got to be looking you know, mm-hmm. at, at probably maybe a significant loan, maybe one like Andreas Christensen, where you kind of, you know, you go away for two years, you sort of forget about Chelsea and you just sort of get on with developing learn yourself as a player. player. Uh, exactly, learn how to be a player because, you know, we've seen some of the little moments he's had during the first team, you think, you know, there is something there. He's got the size, he's got technique, you know, he's got, he's got kind of all the ability to be potentially a really good player. It's just trying to put, piece it all together. And uh, yeah, the only way he's going to do that is through playing games. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for training with first team level players, but, you know, nothing really replicates the intensity of a match. And I think it's yeah. that intensity, which, you know, he's coasted through youth team football because of how good he is. And he's come to adult football and it's, it's a huge shock to the system. You know, I think the, thing that a lot of people probably you know always kind of discount is he's he's trying to graduate from being an under 18 you know under 19 player straight into Chelsea's first team mm. which is, is all virtually impossible to do without playing regularly so you know go away for two years maybe go to Germany go to Holland or you know championship league one a team that tries to play football get someone that's going to play him in midfield and then let's let's just let, let him get on with it and see what we've got at the end of the day and, and you know to be honest chaps I don't have a problem with that because you know Frank Lampard had to go out on loan John Terry had to go out on loan you know it, it can be good I mean look at look at Moses I mean I know Moses is a lot older but uh, you know I think uh, ultimately uh, it's all about timing isn't it but I think ultimately the fact that yeah. he'd, he'd got so much experience has uh, has in the end of the day helped him given that you know clearly Conte saw something in him and something that he felt he could use so there's a bit of timing luck opportunity in there as well but I don't have a problem with sending these kids out on loan if they come back better and I mean you mentioned Christensen see that's a kid that I would really like to see come back because the experience that he's had playing absolutely top flight football Champions League football you know, if if we can't get him back and into that side, then 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 you can argue that the loan system doesn't work. Anyway, let's move on very quickly. Uh, I've got a few plugs to give out in this part, but just a very quick chat about uh, Sunderland on Wednesday. Um, you know, the question is, chaps, uh, or Seb particularly, can they do it on a cold Wednesday night in the frozen north? Um, I hope so. I mean, <laughs> I went up to Sunderland a couple of years ago in the League Cup game, and it was. Yeah, it it wasn't great that night. So hopefully this time round they can uh can get the three points and uh carry on with their winning streak. Uh, like I said, yeah, it's it's going to be a difficult game. Every game's difficult. Um, it's very, everyone wants to beat us at the moment. It's it's, it's uh, everyone wants to beat the top of the table. Um, again, like Joey said, it could like David Wise has got sort of a system how he likes to play. They might not come out. And play much, but it won't. I don't think it'll be as as defensive as West Brom simply because they're at home and they need to win. Uh, so if we can sort of entice them to come out and play a little bit, hopefully we can hit them on the counter and be be clinical like we've been in the last what, nine games. Hmm. Joe, um, uh, the one thing that worries me, you know, about Sunderland is, J- is Jermaine Defoe, who is in a very yeah. rich vein of form anyway, but. I, I, I mean, I forget how many years I've seen Jermaine Defoe score against us, but it seems like an eternity. Uh, but whenever we play a side with Jermaine Defoe, I'm worried that he's going to score. Yeah, no, I, I completely echo that, Chidge. Um, he seems to be one of these players 
like through Saha and the guy yeah. who played for Arsenal, Reyes, yeah. just always literally just seemed to score against us every time they played, regardless of what kind of form they were in. Um, I don't know. I mean, I look at Sunderland's team. I think, you know, we should be able to go out there and get the win. But yeah. I think, you know, Seb's right. They're, they're going to play a particular system. They're not going to be on the front foot. And, you know, I think it's it's going to be the first time we've played, you know, in a short space of time since probably the League Cup game. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Conte makes any changes or just how how well the players have recovered. Because, uh, you know, it's not like we're used to playing midweek, you know, this season. So, yeah, that's going to be the interesting thing for me. Mm. So you're both confident that we're going to win then? Five nil. <laughs> you've got you've got the Kerry Dixon disease, Joe. I think. Uh, Seb, what do you, what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I actually think we'll keep a clean sheet. Um, with with Defoe, he's actually he doesn't have many touches of the ball. So if we can sort of get make sure he doesn't touch the ball, then they definitely won't score. So in terms of prediction, I think two nil. Mm. For me, I think it's all about a whether you know how fit Louise is. Because I think he's absolutely vital to our defensive capabilities at the moment, and I think, like you both said, in the West Brom game, he had his leg heavily strapped, and he he did look to be struggling a little bit. Um, and the other thing, of course, I think is scoring an early goal. You know, I think Moyes will absolutely part the bus. Um, so you know, we get an early goal, then we'll romp it. If if you know, if it's forty five minutes plus without getting a goal, it's going to be a tough, tough night. I think so. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go one nil actually. I think it's gonna be squeaky. I'll be honest with you, but that's just me being normally depressive as always. Anyway, hopefully we'll win. Um, there'll be more previewing uh, of the Sunderland game. No, there won't. There'll be more talking about what happened at the Sunderland game uh, with me and Kerry when uh, I do the Kerry Dixon preview show on Thursday. So listen out for that. And let's. Uh, I'm on a roll at the moment. I predicted the right actual the actual score. I, I should have been putting money on this, Seb. You'd have been proud of me. But I've pretty much predicted the right score for the last four or five games. So how about those apples? Okay. I, I, of course, I, 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 you know, I haven't actually put any money on it, which is bloody stupid. But there you go. Um, so Seb wouldn't be proud of me after all. Anyway, no. I've got a few plugs to read out before we go to part four. So bear with me, chaps. But uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust, of course, join the trust. Get your voice heard by the club. Uh, it's only five quid to become a voting member or uh, free for non-voting member. But there is no point being a non-voting member. So put your hand in your pocket, pay five quid by PayPal, and that means that you can sign up at ChelseaSupportersTrust.com. You can attend the meetings that we have. You can come to any events that we do. You can vote on the issues that directly affect you. And, of course, you can fill in the survey and, and all that kind of stuff. So get your voice heard. Uh, also follow them on Twitter at Trust. Uh, the uh, well, I think we've got uh, Sunderland might possibly be the last time you can get uh, a copy of this month's uh, CFC UK. Uh, a new one is definitely in the pipeline. Why do I know this? Because I delivered my article a full day before the deadline last week, uh, which is unheard of. Normally, it r- rattles along at midnight to poor old uh, DJ, who no wonder he has no hair because people like me tend to send them in at the last minute. But anyway, it'll either be the new one, or it'll be uh, the current one uh, available at Sunderland and Palace on Saturday. So make sure you get hold of your copy. Uh, if you can't get one in person, uh, away, or at Fulham Broadway, opposite, opposite Fulham Broadway Tube at the stall, you can always get it digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net. And uh, if you're in the USA, you can follow the Twitter account at cfcukusa. Or get hold of uh, Dan Lundberg on Twitter, at DLundberg underscore, and he will make sure you get a proper 
copy, not a digital one. Uh, now, as it's Christmas time and it's the time for gifts and being generous and all-round charitable, we've got a few punts going out along those lines now. First of all, CPO, if you want to own a little bit of Chelsea and protect the future of the club, go and buy a share in the Chelsea pitch owners who, of course, own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that Chelsea Football Club remain playing at Stamford Bridge forever. Now, to find out how to buy a share for around 100 quid, uh, email info at chelseapitchowners.com or check out chelseafc.com forward slash fans forward slash chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners. And, of course, you can follow them on Twitter as well, at pitch owners. And, of course, if you get a share now, you'll be entitled to go to the AGM, which they hold in January. So uh, a good time to get one. Make sure you do. Uh, now, I did uh, mention a minute ago, charitable things. It is Christmas, after, after all. And... Uh, Whilst the game was great fun as always, uh, even better uh, after the match, uh, all the usual suspects and faces gathered in the Atlas pub to celebrate Walter Otten's book launch. Uh, Walter's just written uh, another novel, an absolutely fantastic book, uh, which I reviewed for CFC UK in the current issue. And it's called Poppy. It's available from Gate 17 and Amazon, so please, please go and buy one, because, no, well, as always with Walter, he, he donates most of the money he makes from it to charities. Uh, in particular, his favourite charity is Regenerate, who are superb. And apparently, uh, we, we raised enough money on the day in the raffle that we had uh, to feed uh, 700, hang on, 1,733 kids in Kenya. Uh, he's been over to Africa several times to, to do good work out there, and um, basically, he was raising money to kind of feed some kids out there. So that was, it. or as Walter said in his tweet, uh, it makes seven one thousand seven hundred thirty-three meals for kids in proper bad situations, not just bad situations, proper bad situations. Um, and also, they were raising money to help young people who are just freshly out of prison and needing a job to to, to you know to help them get back into work. And uh, even better, we had the uh, two uh, our two favourite Chelsea pensioners, Dave and Walter turning up, uh, replete in their red jackets, coats, call them what you will. And we, we had a pot that went round and we put, you know, we got about 100 quid or so in there so they could have a, a very nice Christmas dinner. So it was a wonderful afternoon. Had a lot of fun. Drank far too much beer, of course, and, and met up with some, some of the old usual suspects. Far too numerous to mention here, but they were all there. Uh, one of whom I will mention, which is the lovely True Blue Terry on Twitter, also known as Terry Fisk who asked me to ask you, because she's uh, also raising some money at the moment, for three children's charities. Uh, and uh, I think by doing this, she'll get uh, books donated to her school library. She's a teacher at a school. And she's doing a readathon. So she's basically getting sponsored to read lots of books, which is no bad thing. Uh, so she's asked me to ask you if you could dip your hands in your pockets and be lovely and generous. Uh, you need to go to readathon.org. That's R-E-A-D-A-T-H-O-N. Dot org, and if you go into that and then you choose Wilmington Grammar School for Boys, uh, you can you know do donate to Terry's Readathon. So please do now. After the break, uh, we've got three emails to test the brains trust of the Chelsea fancast. We'll see you in a sec. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com All 
Welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you are listening to the Chelsea Fancast. We're on the home straight. Uh, we've had a good chat about everything, really, about Chelsea tonight. Uh, but now it's time for your emails. And as I promised uh, Seb and uh, and Joe, as it's mainly going to be my boring, monotonous voice droning on reading out these emails, normally we have a professional in the name of Jonathan Kidd to do this. But uh, I gave Jonathan the night off tonight, so I'm afraid you have to put up with me. But uh, as some sort of recompense, I will make sure that uh, Joe and Seb uh, have to use their very large brains to answer any queries that come to light. Anyway, the first one is from somebody called Tega Mahavu, or Mahavo even. And he says, hello, Chidge and the boys. Namibian listener here. Congrats. You're now officially global. Feel free to check the map. Well, I'm absolutely delighted. I think you may well be our first Namibian listener, Tega. Um, but I have to say, we've been global pretty much since the day we were born. We have listeners from every corner of the world, which I'm very proud of, as you can imagine. But I'm delighted that we have a Namibian listener. And I do know where Namibia is. It's on the west coast of southern Africa. Is it not, chaps? Um, yes, it is. Yeah, it is. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> he's dead. Seb's checking. He's obviously, I mean, he's super, super bright as our Seb, but he's obviously not particularly specialising in geography. No, I've um, not been the cap- there. What's the capital, Seb? Oh, God. That's uh, no, all right. I'm only pulling you I don't. I, even, even I don't know that, and I'm super, super, super bright. Anyway, uh, and moving on with the emails. Just first things first, I just want to say how well we played, given the circumstances of the game. Uh, many thought that Fabregas should have started, which was easy to say with hindsight, but I agreed with Conte's selection. Matic was there to deal with the height problem. We aren't the tallest bunch anymore, hence our zero-headed goals this season. West Brom score a high portion of their goals from set pieces, so I would say that that was good man management, Conte, to notice that. He then noticed that we weren't giving any free kicks or corners away, and then brought Fabregas on, but kept the height with Matic, and also the late introduction of Ivanovic. Another thing I want to raise is Hazard's stamina. We are much, much fitter this season, yes, but is this free role Hazard playing in burning him out? After 75-plus minutes, uh, he always looks tired and then eventually gets substituted. What do you guys think, and will this have an effect in this busy Christmas period? We'll park that thought, uh, which brings me to my next point of how we could introduce Fabregas. If he is to play, I would suggest we play with three in the middle and two up top, with Matic and Kante covering. Then, Hazard and Costa up top playing one-twos. Or, Costa and Batshuayi. Remember him? He was impactful and effective when he played alongside Costa earlier in the season. Everyone was screaming, Batman. Just a thought on rotation. Lastly, on January transfers, I hope we don't make any big mistakes and buy players just to buy. I think with this system, we are well positioned. Christensen and Zuma will be there for next season, still young and with potential. In the middle, Chaloba and Fabregas can mix it up. Not together, but if one of but kind of one of Matic or Kante are out. Everyone forgets that Chaleva was part of the Watford side that finished third in 2013's championship and then had a bit part with Napoli and Reading. As loans and experience goes, the boy is ready. Up front, Batshuayi is waiting in the shadows. Only place I would say is the wing backs. If we get cover there, we are in a good position, especially because then we could push Moses up next to Hazard for Pedro in rotation as well. My point being, the team is well suited for this season. Emphasis on this season. Let's hold off on buying unwanted players. Then when the season is over, we can go for the big boys, i.e. Bonucci and uh, Nabi Keita, whoever that is. Uh, thanks for the great show, guys. Keep the blue flag flying high. Mahabo. Also, can Arsenal bugger off already? How are they still only three points behind? Uh, and he's on Twitter at 
Mahevo Mevs or M A H E V O M E V S. Excellent, excellent email. Jonathan will be pissed that he's missed that one. Just <laughs> cut, 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 I think actually we, we don't need to answer anything about the transfer window, boys, because I think actually uh, Tega's like, or Mahevo, as, as he probably is, uh, pretty much nailed everything that we said. So if only I'd read that before, we wouldn't have had to bother talking about it in that part. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I have to say, he talks an awful lot of sense there. But going back up to his first question about Hazard, um, is he always tired after 75 minutes? Um, and, you know, I think really what he's asking is, can he last the pace with the busy Christmas schedule? Uh, Joe? Um, I don't I don't know if I agree that he's he's tired after sort of 75 minutes. I think... You know, the kind of three-year-old, I mean, even if you're getting, you know, maybe 60, 65 minutes out of him at full tilt, he's doing quite a bit to sort of influence games, you know, and, and really sort of push us forward. So, I don't know, maybe, you know, Cost, um, Conte is, is sort of managing him slightly better by substituting him, going a little bit more, sit, you know, solid, bringing on Willian or, or other players to kind of sort of lighten the load a bit. Um, maybe there's a fear of, of burning him out, I think, you know, last season. For whatever reason, you know, he was he was pretty abject, really, whether it was a combination of injuries and just general fitness. But, you know, I think maybe there's that potentially that, that little thing in the back of Conte's mind that he doesn't want to completely and utterly burn Hazard out. So maybe that's why he's being substituted. But I can't say that I've really seen this sort of huge kind of downturn in him after sort of 70, 75 minutes. I still think he's he's been you know very, very good this season. Um, yeah, I, I think he's been excellent. Seb, what do you reckon, mate? You worried about? Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'm worried about Hazard really is not that he's he's going to be blowing out of his ass, but the fact that he's going to get kicked out of the game. Well, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, the uh, after the kick yesterday, he did go in the shell a little bit, yeah. which is understandable because uh, I definitely think our kit man gets is uh, well paid because all the bloody um, red socks that Hazard gets after getting his his socks ripped every ripped after every game, he gets well paid for it. So. Um, yeah, I, I I don't tend to agree. I think I think the the difference this season is that Conte wants a hundred percent from everyone all the time. And look at look at it on the touchline. He's telling every player where to stand, defending and attacking. So yeah, okay, he, he's using a lot of energy, but we've only got, we might only play forty two games a season. So it will be, and we'll have four or five days to recuperate every for every game, hopefully. So. Look, if he's if if he's making if he's scoring goals and making assists, but and take him off in the last fifteen minutes of every game, then then so be it. If, if you need to freshen up a little bit. You can't you can't yeah you can't play ninety minutes at that level every week, um, especially in his position. So I, I I don't tend to agree. But um, look, maybe at Christmas you playing so many games over the Christmas period can have an effect, but I don't think so. Yeah, good point. Um. Mahavu's second point was really uh, how we can fit uh, Fabregas in, uh, which is an interesting point because, I mean, you know, Fabregas has had a crucial contribution in the last two matches that he's played. Um, I mean, you know, just kind of gleaning what you were saying earlier, Joe, you think he might actually be off in January, whereas other people have said, actually, surprisingly in some respects, he's been really quite a team player this year and he's not kicked up a fuss and he's been... You know, I wouldn't say he's been happy sitting on the bench, but he's, you know, kind of certainly got his head around the idea it's a squad game. But, you know, that aside, uh, you know, how would you fit Fabregas in, Joe? Or would you? Um, I think I'm, I'm probably known for not being his his biggest fan. Um, not in terms of, I think he's, he's got... A, 
really, really fantastic attitude. You know, I think he's he's very, very professional and I wouldn't label sort of any of those types of criticism against him. But I think maybe the Premier League has, has moved on one or two gears now since he's come back. And you know, sometimes even, you know, in the City game where he still plays that fantastic pass to Costa, you know, I think he was really kind of, not, not going to say all over the place, but positionally, I think he was he was probably the reason why they were having a lot of joy down our left-hand side, you know, where Matic probably covers it a little bit better. But, I mean, if you were going to fit him in, I know a lot of people were looking at maybe playing him in kind of the Perlo role that, that Conte used Perlo uh, at Juventus in, sorry, in more of a sort of 3-5-2 shape to kind of have him as a, as a holding player. But, I mean, I suppose with, with David Luiz in the team, do you need someone who can, who can play 40, 50-yard passes with Luiz in the team? I don't necessarily think so. I think some of Luiz's long passing this season has been absolutely exceptional. Um, and also, not just sort of long balls over the top, but the way he can he can draw the ball through midfield, straight into Costa or straight into Hazard. I don't think really it's, it's as much as a need as, as what we have. But then on the other hand, you look at, for example, obviously the, the game yesterday, he comes on, although you know he's going to get credit for the assist, I think, just having someone who is a little bit more aware on the ball, you know, has a bit more of an attacking mentality, will definitely uh, help us going forward. Because so I think we we lack a lot of variety really off the bench and, and within the squad as a whole. So I think probably Fabregas, maybe with the City game or probably the West the West Brom game, has maybe kind of kept himself around it because I, I really did think that he um, he would potentially go in January, whether that was on loan or permanently. But I think maybe he might have just stolen a march on Oscar who. I, I haven't heard about him being injured or anything like that. He, I don't think I've seen him involved. Um, I think, you know, he, I think he's, he's broken both. a fingernail last week, Joe. <laughs> yeah, hang, hangnail aside, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think maybe Oscar is is being positioned, you know, now for a for a move away from the for, you know away from the club with potentially Fabregas being that kind of you know first rotation option back into well, midfield. But yes, remember where you heard it first. I think that you'll see Oscar going out the door in in the summer to Juventus with uh, Nangalan coming back the other way and possibly a bit of money exchanging hands as well. All right. Seb's now phoning up his bookmaker to see the odds on that. No, no. <laughs> no um, become, his, become his agent more like, hopefully. Well, there we go. Yes, then you'd be conflicted out and then I could make all the money. Yeah. Anyway, um, go on. well, i tell you what, actually, Seb, there's another email uh, coming okay. up after this one which is all about in defence of Fabregas. So let's can we can can I park your thought and because I suspect it's about Fabregas, right? Yeah. Yeah, we could park it for talking about it off just after this quick email. Right, which is from Daniel Cabral and he says, "Hello Chidge, hello Daniel. Um I've got a question for you and the boys on a non-Chelsea topic for the moment. This season we've been introduced to Friday night football. Yuck. And for quite a few seasons Monday night football. Yuck. What uh, I, I was adding the yucks, by the way. Uh, with that said, do you think that the FA will now support clubs who are competing in Champions League and Europa League? I've always believed Spanish and German teams have done well. Uh, they've done well to, with their with their FA giving them the extra day of rest that they need, which I think is quite true. If Real Madrid are playing uh, Champions League Tuesday, then they would play their prior uh, prior game in La Liga on a Friday. Should the FA consider this philosophy? Thanks. Well. Uh, Seb, I'll let you go first as I cut you off a minute ago. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we've sort of experienced Friday night football. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't a great experience. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's I, I, French, I watch a lot of French football because that's sort of my my strengths. And, and, and all the top clubs, PSG, Lyon, Monaco, they, the vast majority of them play 
the Friday night game. And yeah, it's 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 a great attribute to have because they have an extra day. It's uh, it gives them time to recuperate and then head into the the Champions League match day with an extra day compared to their opponent most of the time. So yeah, I I definitely think it's 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 a great benefit. Um, I, I don't, unfortunately, I don't know what's happened in the last couple of weeks with the Friday night games. Maybe because there's more uh, midweek games at the moment, they can't they can't show a game. Um, yeah, I, I, I I've always having watched European football for what the last 15, 16 years, um, I, I've always uh, pushed for it. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely something they should do more and more more Friday and fewer Mondays. I'd say. For, for especially for fans as well, I'd rather have a good Friday night session than a Monday night in Burnley or something. Yeah, I mean, just to, to kind of bring you in on this, Joe, and 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 preface it with uh, the fact that I'm, I'm all for uh, giving us the same kind of level playing field as as our European rivals have, and they seem to get plenty of them. Um, I would even go further, actually, and I, and people think I'm nuts about this, but I, I would. I would have a break over Christmas so that we could have a, some sort of a winter break. I find, I think, I think a lot of this is really because you know, quite often I'm I'm dealing with my family, so I I very seldom get to the Christmas games, and clearly it pisses me off. So that's perhaps my bias coming in at, at getting them trashed. But it would also give give us a couple of weeks break, and uh, you know, I've got I I would be in favour of that just to level the playing field out a bit. But Joe, what do you reckon? Um, I mean, I think yes, it would would be a good idea. But ultimately, the Premier League are going to do what you know generates the most money for them. And really, I think you know we've seen that their only real consideration is is basically what you know what will make the most profit at the end of the day. I think I can't remember when it was we played Spurs in the the FA Cup semi final on the Sunday and then played in the Champions League on a Tuesday. I mean, that's yeah. just you know that that pretty much sums up the kind of the FA's you know relationship with the Premier League and, and just really how they view. English teams as a whole so yeah I mean yeah you know it's something that we should definitely do you know I think rest is such an important factor in performance levels particularly given the, the physical nature of the Premier League and to actually make someone play you know Sunday and, and Tuesday was probably just one of the most absurd things I think I've ever seen but yeah you know definitely should do it you know I think the Friday night feel um, I know the game uh, what was it Liverpool I can't remember who I, I know we lost or it wasn't fantastic but um, you know it's I think it's a pretty good idea. It's you know it's a good good day, particularly if you win. You obviously can go out afterwards, which is obviously a bonus. But yeah, you know, good 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 idea. Um, and yeah, I mean, just in terms of winter break, I mean, I think it's definitely something that we should have. I know it's it's traditional to have that sort of festive period at the football, but you know, I would much rather see you know Chelsea, you know, next season or whatever, you know, benefit from having a I don't know, it's like a two week break, for example, and being fresher, you know, for mm. the. Uh, for, for the sort of second half of the season. And I think there's a lot to be said for not only them resting up from a kind of physical perspective, but, you know, from a mental perspective as yeah. well, just having a break somewhere away from the stresses and, and strains of being a Premier League footballer. I know they get paid an awful lot of money, but, you know, I think it's as mentally taxing as it is physically. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that definitely should be in consideration. And, you know, I know that the, uh, you know, the media are always harping on, particularly about the England national team, about, you know, why is it we're not doing so fantastically well. And, and maybe something like a winter break would help some of these English players who tend to be a bit more crash-bang wallet than some of the sort of players yeah. who play here from other countries. So, yeah, I mean, you know, all around, definitely for me, definitely a good yeah. idea. Can I just it's add like, something? Well, go on then, yeah. Yeah, but what, the, the only, my only concerns about doing winter break is that that clubs go to uh, 
Abu Dhabi, Dubai, so those sort of hot winter camps and still play matches, that that would be that wouldn't be right if they were to do it because uh, you're still not recuperating. Like obviously, it's great and it's nice and warm so forth, but if you're still playing matches and playing in the heat, I don't think that's that would be a good idea. It had to be a complete no football match for eight days or whatever, how long it would be. Mm, good point. I was just going to like follow up on Joe's point about uh, England players needing a break. I mean, it, it's either that, Joe, or they are actually just shit. It would be my final point on that. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely they are terrible, but you know, it might give them 3% slightly more energy when they come into a final, so they're not as terrible as what they normally are. Well, you never know. We've got, we've got great Gareth, we've got, uh, Gareth uh, uh, Southgate uh, leading us now, so we'll be fine. Uh, right, we've got a, a, an absolute corker, a humdinger of uh, an email here, which is, is, is a, I, I warn you now, people, strap yourselves in. Go and have a piss, get a coffee on or whatever. It's a page and a half long. But I'm a man of my word. And if you send me an email, I bloody well read it out or get Jonathan to. Uh, so here we go. Uh, it is from Alan Gavilran, who says, Guys, after Spuds and City, there is so much to write about, but I thought I'd confine myself to two related issues personified by our magic hat wearer, Chesk Fabregas. Like Chidge, I started from a position of high scepticism about Chesk, not just because he played for the Gooners, but because he was always first in the queue to have a pop at us, giving it all that, at least in a Spanish accent. In retrospect, that now looks like uh, an admirable passion and leadership, but it didn't quite feel like that at the time. When I heard that Chesk was playing instead of Matic, I was very worried. Very worried indeed. A player slower than Bill Fatty Fulk, at least over the first 100 metres, and with less defensive nows than Doug Rugby. Playing against a fast and very skillful side. This is great writing, Alan. I'm enjoying this immensely. Uh, as we all know now, uh, we needn't have been concerned. Chesk is certainly less of a liability with Kante by his side rather than Matic due to Kante's phenomenal work rate. We all know what he has in the locker. The brilliant defensive uh, defence eviscerating pass to Costa for the first goal, repeating what he did at Watford. But that was only the first uh, of his assists for the game. By my reckoning, Joe will love this. We've got some stats coming up, Joe. Uh, he said, by my reckoning, Chesk had 1.75 assists in the game. Uh, goal one, Chesk to Costa to goal, one assist. Goal two, Chesk to Hazard to Costa to William, goal, 0.25 of an assist. Goal three, Chess to Alonso to Hazard, goal, 0.5 of an assist. The second goal is my favourite. When I first watched, I thought we were lucky after the ball ping-ponged around our penalty box after Gundogan's attack and cross broke down. But watching it again after Alonso has a wild hack at the ball, that's my kind of football, that, uh, is Chesk who takes the ball on the volley with one touch and flicks it perfectly to Hazard who passes upfield to Costa. It's a brilliant moment of calm skill in the middle of a chaotic period of play by someone who knew exactly what he was doing. As well as Chess's well-known footballing skills, he's got great game craft, something some of our other experienced players and our manager also have in trumps. This hard-to-define quality is what often separates the winners from the also-rans. Look at Spurs uh, this year, but especially last year at our place. Look at Liverpool when Gerrard slipped or last week at Bournemouth. Look at Arsenal at home to Monaco in virtually every season. Apart from our performance last season, the exception that proves the rule, 
our boys know how to close games out and know how to use their skills and energy at the right time and in the right way. It's virtually impossible to understand what Aguero was thinking when he tried to decapitate Luiz in the worst tackle I've ever seen since his last tackle on Luiz in the semi-final. Such callous disregard for his team and his paymasters is beyond belief. Just so he could settle some infantile score with Luiz, who, though no angel, has far more gamecraft in how he gets one over on his opponents. Which brings me back to Chesk. The way he reeled in Fernandinho at the end was surely Oscar-winning territory. Yes, he brushed his face in the fracas, never a slap, but Fernandinho went totally over the top with his reaction and Chesk knew exactly what he was doing. One, as he looked to the side, to the camera, whilst Fernandino had hit him by the throat and was raging at him, and two, as he took a sneaky look down to see where the advertising hoardings were so he could let Fernandino push him over and into the crowd. That is Gamecraft defined. Two of City's best players will miss three and four games respectively through their own stupidity and through tiny pieces of encouragement from two of our far more streetwise players. How much will that cost City over the length of the season? Chesk will never rival Drogba, Zola, JT or Frank in our affections. He will never beat Victor Moses in a foot race. He will never track back brilliantly. And he is unlikely to be central to Conte's plans. But when we add up the contributions he's made for us, albeit most likely over a shorter period, he will have made his influential mark many times over. Hopefully, we'll keep him for the rest of the season and cash in with a move that makes sense for us and for him next summer. Alan Gavaran of Russian, not French origin, God forbid. Uh, his words, not mine. Um, cracking, cracking, cracking email. And actually, even, uh, to Alan, we're writing like that. You should email me some flaming blogs, mate, and I'll get them on the website. Great stuff. Enjoyed that. Uh, now, Seb, I promised you to uh, a bit of uh, verbiage on uh, on Fabregas. Would you like to say what you were going to say, or, or and or follow up on that? Yeah, no, that was a, that was a great e- email from Alan. Yeah, just to kind of follow up from that and Joe's point about um, Fabregas. I think in the summer, sorry, in January even, um, I think Oscar would probably be the one to sort of make way um, if the club, uh, and the day the club will have a price for him. If they get it, they will sell. Every club has a price for every player. I've got to learn that very quickly in this industry. Um, I think with Sesk, although um, he didn't particularly play well against City, um, it was his pass was the game changing pass. So and even yesterday, I didn't I didn't particularly want him to start the game because I knew in the, the midfield was the place where we had to win. Uh, because if he'd started, I could see definitely we would have been overruled a little bit. But he you can't you can't deny he has qualities game changing qualities, and for that reason, I think it would be unwise for Chelsea to get rid of him, regardless if it's on a uh, six month loan with a permanent view to leave in the summer because I think when it when it comes to the last eight games um, I think we'll need to play like him that game against QPR yeah um, it was it, it it's games like that where you think like, we, we need game-changing players and he is one um, so I think he would it would be unwise for Chelsea to get rid now in January in the summer yeah I think would we'd have to reconsider um, he what well, so he'd have to really reconsider his position, but I think it would be a bit of a a, a bad move to go in January, um, in for his his point of view really. Yeah, good point, mate. Uh, Joe, final word on 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 Chesk from you. I think I mean ultimately, you know, kind of exactly really what Seb's saying. He 
he's probably the only player within the squad who's who's something a bit different to what we have that's starting. So you've got Matic and Kante, you know, very physical, you know, can do a bit sort of everywhere on the pitch, but you know, we don't really have anyone who can who can really sort of unlock a pass from kind of anywhere really on the pitch. And I think, you know, given that, you know, that Fabregas probably sticks around, you know, definitely in my opinion, longer than, than Oscar does. Um, you know, again, you know, I think the reason that you see Conte trying so many different kind of formations and shapes during a game is because, you know, during that 3-4-3, three, three, he maybe doesn't have the players to bring on that, that can really do something different in that particular shape. Whereas Fabregas, you know, against City, you know, again, you know, probably getting overrun a little bit, but but plays the pass of the match, you know, which really kind of sets us up on our way. Um, and yeah, you know, I think that there's definitely space for him in this team, whether it, it is, you know, as an impact substitute or whether he starts more games. I don't know um, really sort of what his future is going to be going forward. But yeah, you know, he's he's more than, you know, he's definitely good enough to play against the majority of the teams in the Premier League. My only contention would be when we start, you know, sort of come up against the Arsenal's and United and stuff like that. Do I really want him in the midfield battle against Paul Popper if Popper's, you know, starting to play well? Possibly not. So, you know, there's always going to be that kind of debate with him for me. Um, I think, you know, he's he's definitely uh, absolutely world-class on the ball. That's, that's, you know, totally undeniable. But, you know, whether it's it's, it's what Conte wants going forward, I, I, I can't really see it personally. I think probably if he doesn't go in January, I think probably he's he's earned, you know, some some more time here. I think we'll see him possibly go in in, uh, in the summer and... I'd be surprised if it isn't somewhere like Juventus or, or to AC Milan. Good stuff. Um, I'll just say one thing about Fabregas, actually. I am I am known to be somewhat disapproving of the uh, vertically challenged Spaniard, but uh, back in the old days, a lot of people will remember on this show, one of the things we used to do, uh, and actually people still ask why on earth we don't do it anymore, and largely because I can't be asked, which is very bad of me, but also true and honest, um, but we used to have things like the man of the match, salary moment, Guinness moment, yep. and child of the match. And uh, the Guinness moment was always defined as, as, a, as a piece of skill and brilliance on the pitch, which uh, made me emit a somewhat orgasmic sound. Uh, Fabregas did that on uh, on Sunday, yesterday. When, and I don't know if you boys remember this, but he was it was down on the right-hand side, and, and he basically flicked a back heel into the path of, I think it might have been William who then norsed it up, sadly. But it was just brilliant. <laughs> and I did emit an orgasmic sound. Do you remember, do you remember that, Seb? Uh, unfortunately, I was at the red, so I didn't see it clearly. But I did I did see the little the little uh, movement for it, though. Yeah. Joji, did you see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was pretty clear on, on, the, uh, on the TV, yeah. It was good, it's, wasn't it? You know, he's, he's, got, he's got fantastic ability on the ball. You know, that's, I don't think that's ever really been in question. It's, it's just the... The fact that you know if if teams start putting him under pressure, then we, we don't see the same player. It's just it's just one of those things. But yeah. you know his ability on the ball is is really it's still probably you know, possibly the best in the in the squad. Really, fair point. All right, we better go, guys, because it's uh, time to go home. But uh, before we do, uh, thank you very much for your emails, everybody. Um, as you know, we love receiving them, and I will always try and read them out on the show. Uh, and on on that point, actually, a, a young lad. I think it's a young lad, but anyway, they sent something in. Uh, about the audio quality okay um and i would really like and the reason why i haven't read it out this week is because i think jonathan should read it out i will say no more and i will land him with that next week uh but anyway if you want to send your emails in you've got to get them into me really sunday's lovely uh but certainly uh monday morning absolute latest uh anyway send them to chelsea fancast at gmail.com 
Right, that is all we've got time for this week. Uh, we will be back next Monday, the 19th of December, when um, I will have Jonathan back with me and absolutely no idea who else, because as, as still, I haven't done the schedule yet, but I will endeavour to get it out, otherwise I'll have another Clayton episode next Monday or something. Uh, anyway, nevertheless, uh, we'll be back to report on the matches against Sunderland and Palace. I am going to Palace. I am uber excited. I'm very, very, very excited. It's going to be a top day. Uh, win, lose or draw. Now, uh, before that, of course, don't forget to download the next Kerry Dixon preview show this Thursday. And Kerry and I will be discussing how Chelsea smashed Sunderland 17-0. And uh, we'll also be looking forward to the Palace match, where we hope to win by an equally large and unfeasible margin. Now, um, don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Chelsea Fancast, and of course me, at Stamford Jidge. And would you like your Twitter uh, addresses read out, chaps? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, well, we have Joe, of course. Joe is at Joe Tweedy, T-W-E-E-D-I-E, and Seb, he's got a new Twitter address, and it is at O-M-S-J underscore sport. So there you go. Follow them, please, because they're lovely people. And, of course, you can check our website out, which, of course, is ChelseaFanCast.com, which uh, has been upgraded. It looks lovely, um, and uh, there will be lots more content up there in in the new year. I warn you now, even I'm going to get my finger out of my rear end and do some writing. So there we go. Uh, many thanks to my guests this week. They have been absolutely brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, Joe, it is just so fantastic at last, after nearly eight years, to finally get you on the show. It's been a real privilege, mate. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. It's, it's been really, really fun. Good. We'll get you back on again. Now I know we can, we can get hold of you, and that uh, uh, it's a little bit easier for you to do it. So, uh, so if you're if you're up for that, I'd love to get you back on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just let me know whenever, mate. We'll do. All right, mate. And Seb, brilliant to have you you back on the show. It's been way too long. It's been lovely having you back, and uh, I, I extend that invite uh, out to you whenever you whenever you want. I uh, would love to get you back on. No problem. It was great, great shows always, and um, yeah, I will definitely be back in the near future, and um, I'll be seeing you on Saturday at Palace. I think. I, yeah, I was going to ask you that. You're going to be at Palace. Yeah, my other half's got a ticket, but I'm still trying to look for a ticket. So if anyone out there knows of a spare. It'd be greatly appreciated, but um, yeah, I'll be looking forward to it on Saturday because it's my sort of semi-local. Yeah, my well, other half, as my other half lives down down the area. So, okay, you heard the man. Uh, if you want to see Seb get uh, have a few drinks with Chidge on Saturday at the Palace game, then he needs a ticket. But uh, other than that, uh, hopefully, I'll see you there, Seb. Uh, brilliant. Thank you so much, guys. Really enjoyed that. And of course, massive thanks to you lot out there, particularly the lovely people in Mixler whose comments I've thoroughly enjoyed tonight uh, for listening. Uh, but we will see you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chills. Up the chill! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.